0: This episode of The Real Photo Show is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club, a monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. Working with the most respected names in contemporary photography, Charcoal selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors. Each month, members receive a signed first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collections. You can visit them and sign up at charcoalbookclub.com. Last month's book was Mark Steinmetz's South Central, part of the trilogy, Southeast, Great Atlanta, and South Central, and Charcoal Book Club has all three of those books on sale at their website at charcoalbookclub.com. This month's book is Alejandro Cartagena's A Small Guide to Home Ownership, which I will do a more in-depth introduction to on the Real Photo Show YouTube channel and Real Photo Show IGTV, Uh, and I should be getting that book any day now. And again, if you want to buy any of these books and you're not a member, you can buy them at charcoalbookclub.com. But of course, if you are a member, you would have received Mark Steinmetz's book and Alejandro Cartagena's book already, but you can always buy those books at the shop. Welcome to The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Stephen Fraley. Uh, Stephen and I talk about his new book, Looking at Photography, published by Damiani Books, an homage to John Tcharkovsky's Looking at Photographs. And while it uses Tcharkovsky's format of 100 photographs and a page of text for each photograph, it is very much Stephen's own ideas about photography, distilled from many years of lectures, critiques, and conversations he has had with his students. And that is very much at the heart of this book, the voice Stephen uses, what he says about the photographs, and the decisions he made in choosing the photographers. It all comes from the conversations he had in the classroom as a teacher and as someone who was very much engaged with his students and looking at the work they were making and who they were influenced by. And Stephen does address that more narrow focus that he used from the classroom in selecting the photographers for this book. All right, so if you don't know who Stephen Fraley is, uh, Stephen was the Chair of the Photography and Video Undergraduate Program at the School of Visual Arts in New York from 1998 to 2018. He is now Chair Emeritus. In 2012, he co-founded the Graduate MPS Fashion Photography Program at SVA, and he is currently the Director of Education for Red Hook Labs in Brooklyn, and we talk a little bit about that in this episode. He has had solo exhibitions at 303 Gallery, Julie Saul Gallery, Group exhibitions at the Museum of Modern Art, International Center for Photography, and the National Museum of American Art. His work has been reviewed in the New York Times, Arts Magazine, Art News, Art Forum, The Village Voice, and The New Yorker, Uh, and his portfolios have appeared in Art Forum and the Paris Review. Uh, Just uh, one little show note, Uh, Stephen mentions at one point that he's working on a new book, and then we start talking about Dear Dave magazine, and I forget to come back to that. Uh, And I emailed Stephen, and he doesn't actually have a lot to say about that because it's in its uh, infancy stages, so you didn't really miss anything when I forgot to follow up on that question. All right, everyone, so happy question mark new year uh, so far. Let's all hope for a peaceful inauguration. And as always, thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. And we will talk soon.
1: Michael, thank you very much for having me. My name is Stephen Fraley. I am in a fairly remote part of New York State and have been up here since March. And uh, very grateful to be here and, and also grateful to be having this conversation with you. you.
0: You've been up there since March. Yes,
1: yeah. We went down to we came down to New York once or twice on the weekend, but for the most part, yes. This is this has been our our, our so-called weekend home for about thirty years, and to uh in to experience it with this kind of permanence is a really new and interesting experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, there's quite a few people from New York who, uh, if they had a little vacation home or a little getaway cabin somewhere. They've been in it for a while now.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been lovely to see the four seasons because rather than it just being a weekend event, it's now we're completely immersed in it for, for better or
0: worse. That's right. And you're you're yeah. learning, you know, all the things uh, that, ha- how the house functions under the different seasons, right?
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. Functions or does not function.
0: Um, you'll probably be, you'll probably be amused to know that I was actually
1: out chopping wood uh, yesterday.
0: <laughs> Learning those survival skills. Yes. <laughs> so uh, first of all, congratulations on the book. Thank you. Looking at photography, when when did it actually uh, re- get released? Uh, it was
1: released this year in April uh, by Damiani, mm. uh, which is a wonderful publisher uh, out out of Bologna. Of course the rele- the release and the various plans for signings and celebrations were were somewhat curtailed, well, I should say completely curtailed by the by the pandemic.
0: Yeah, that's right, boy. So many book releases were um, somewhat uh, uh, undercovered, I'd say <laughs> this year. You know, you you mentioned of course that the book is based upon John Sharkovsky's looking at photographs inspired right. by based upon a little bit at what point did you think, you know, you were ready to write this kind of book?
1: I think that's a good question. And and and, and placing the emphasis on on my need as opposed to thinking that there was an interest in it <laughs> in the world or the fact that Sarkowski actually needed updating. I actually started writing the book about five years ago. And, and I wrote a couple of passages in my spare time, uh, which obviously means that Very little gets done on the book. Um, Hmm. When I left teaching, when I left uh, School of Visual Arts in 2018, I realized that to continue to write the book would be a really good way for me to bring together all the various thinking about photography and what I had learned in the classroom from the students' work, what I had learned about the medium. And Sarkowski's format, the fact that there's just one page of text and that... Each page of text, although devoted to an, an individual image, also talks in very broad terms about the medium, would just be the perfect way to to contain all those thoughts, um, as opposed to sitting down and thinking, heck, I'm going to write a book, a hundred page book about contemporary photography. That would have been a much more daunting um, and confusing endeavor.
0: You know, along those lines, just like Sharkovsky's book, it's a hundred photos, each one with a page of text, but because of that layout like you talk about, mm-hmm. it's a quick read in many ways. Yeah. Because you you kind of you begin and you finish on each page. Right. 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 There's a beginning and an end on each page. And so and so it it, it, it doesn't feel like a treatise on the Absolutely. history of photography. Yeah.
1: Right? I wanted very much to, I, I wanted very much to write something that was very accessible and that you could literally dip into the book and read a page or two and then put it down. I didn't want uh, something that was, that was overwhelming. I wanted, I wanted, and, and I also wanted it to appeal to, to those, you know, who are not necessarily deeply engaged in photography, who didn't necessarily have the commitment of that, of that sort of thing. So it's, it really is the perfect. And in terms of Sarkowski, I mean, I, I discovered the, looking at, at, uh, at photographs when I was in college in the 1970s. And, you know, 40 years later, I still pick it up and, and uh, page through it and just, you know, read a couple of sentences. And again, that the the format was so conducive in so many different ways. I'm actually surprised, Michael, that it has not been done in terms of somebody using it as a very, you know, explicit template for their writing.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you do a a fantastic job of, let's say, uh, walking a fine line between a book that is both academic and both accessible, right? I don't think thank you shy you. away from the, the, fo- the vocabulary of photography uh, or art or the vocabulary of art, but I also think you do make it very digestible in, at the same time. Well,
1: thank you. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that because obviously one who's been um, enclosed in academia for as long as I have, it's so easy to resort to academic, academic language. And I felt myself. I was conscious of of, of of avoiding that. On the other hand, as as you will probably agree, photography is such a complex and has such depth in terms of its cultural um, its cultural presence and its intellectual p- possibilities. And and very and much more simply, it's, it is so much fun. <laughs> so. I, I wanted something that that felt like it was intelligent, but also that that had a sense of fun and a sense of uh, a sense
0: of pleasure with the medium. Right, uh, and yes, um, I also think that good teachers, um, and I'm including you in that, also communicate with their students in a way that is with enthusiasm and inspiration, uh, as well as delivering the hard stuff. Right, delivering the. You know the the complicated right. sources of information that you have to sort of get through to develop that vocabulary of speaking about art. Right. But you know also keep everybody going at the same time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's as, as you well know, it's such a
1: fine balance between being critical but also being encouraging. Absolutely.
0: The um, so I, I do want let's let's talk a little bit about. The, the layout of the book. Um, it's an alphabetical order by first name. Mm-hmm. It's one of the first things I noticed. Uh-huh. <laughs> my copy of Looking at Photographs has been uh, in my office at, at my college uh-huh. all year, and I have not. And I can't remember how the photographers in that book are ordered. Do you remember?
1: They're ordered. That's a good question, but they are ordered chronologically because I think one of the last pictures is, is, is Henry Wessel,
0: Okay, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So it is chronological and, and let's also re- remember that the choices of images were based on the Museum of Modern Art's collection. I was going to bring that up. So that was already a given. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so uh, selection was was is definitely going to be <laughs> was definitely going to be my uh, next question. Uh, Sharkovsky was showing us a representation of the museum's collection at that time, 1973, I think, or something like that. Something like and that. And yours is, you have a, a very contemporary list of photographers and some photographers who reach back into history as well. Mm-hmm. So what was that selection process?
1: I'm glad you asked that. And in retrospect, I should have made the uh, selection process a, a bit more explicit in my introduction. But essentially, Michael, I chose the photographers who I felt had made the most impact in the classroom, whose work over a period of time had been the most influential in terms of the students' thinking and their relationship to, to photography. And and there are some exclusions from the book which are somewhat inexplicable. I don't know why certain photographers, for example, that I value, why they never seem to have made The sort of impact in the classroom that the others had, you know, that that's a different conversation. You know, one could also argue that everyone in the book had certain, for lack of a better word, certain powerful representation in New York City, because obviously the photographers who are going to have the most impact on a group of photography students in New York City are the ones who have exhibitions. So. Um, Mm -hmm. I will admit that it is not an, it's not an objective listing, but it's really just based on, uh, again, what I perceived as those photographers are really those ideas, uh, to take it away from, from it being personal, those ideas that had had the influence and who really shaped the conversation over, over these many years. And some are not, you know, some are not durational. Uh, you know, for example, Joel Peter Witkin. Is in the book, and he was enormously influential in the eighties, and and not so much anymore, from what I could perceive.
0: No, that's right. <laughs> so you know, I I first met you at the School of Visual Arts when I was a student in about nineteen eighty seven, and Joel Peter Witkin was huge at the yeah. time when I was there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I, I would say it, remember that it was
1: probably a kind of wrestling match between Nan Golden and Joel Peter Witkin in in that era. Well Nan Golden came to SVA
0: to speak, to lecture. <laughs> were you th- were you there that morning? Yes, I was in the theater.
1: Oh, that's so funny.
0: I still remember the the questions that insulted Nan.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Well, this was
1: prior it, that's an interesting memory because that was one of my first teaching jobs at SVA. I I really was uh, I just oversaw a sort of lecture series. And it was Monday morning at nine o'clock. Nobody wanted to be there, of course. Um, later no. on, <laughs> later on, I changed the, the the time frame so that it was it was somewhat more civilized. And and, and Nan was at least forty minutes late. And uh, this was before cell phones, so you know, as it was nine nine thirty 9.45, I became increasingly alarmed. I remember going to a payphone and calling Marvin Heiferman because i didn't have nan's direct phone number finally nan came in oh wow <laughs> and was seemingly unconcerned about her late arrival and at that <laughs> point the st- i mean the students did not know who she was this was just i th- at least in terms of my memory this was just prior to her emergence as being important and her profound uh influence on this on the students so I think I remember the students as being, being kind of pissed off that she was late and that she didn't seem too interested. And I think the work that she showed really challenged their ideas about documentary.
0: So, yes, um, you know, this is um, work that I'm sure that ended up in the or was already in the uh, the ballot of sexual dependency. And I remember, yeah, I remember the students thinking, who are these people? You know, how do you photograph these people? And then I remember one question where a student got up and said, you know, your friends look like prostitutes or something like that. And Nan did not take to that yeah. question very well. Uh, things Gee, got very hostile after that.
1: Are you sure that wasn't your question and you're, you're, you're disguising yourself?
0: <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> I do remember a lot of tension in the air. That's what I remember. yeah yeah <laughs> but I, I'm so I'm actually very glad I got to see that work so early on. yeah I mean yeah. that was pretty fortunate.
1: you know it's it's such an interesting narrative because it's it's hard to remember the time that that work was so challenging. and especially you would think that a group of 17, 18, 19 year olds would be open to that to that work. Right. One of the things that I found over the years is that the students can be much more conservative than, than I, yes. for example, and a lot less open-minded to new ideas and work that challenges their, their, their preconceptions.
0: Yeah, I have a little theory about that. I think a lot of that comes from a fear of failure and a lack of confidence. Oh, absolutely. Because, it,
1: because the students are looking for some sort of template in which they can they, they can enter in some variation with their work. And if somebody introduces a whole new set of possibilities, then that that really blows it. Yeah, that's right. One of the things I always I always said to the students, if you walk into an exhibition, whether it's sculpture, whether it's photography, or any medium for that matter, and your first reaction is, hey, this is not photography, or this is not sculpture, or this is not music, then something important is occurring. Because your if you allow it to, your definition of the medium is is about to expand.
0: So you know when you um, when you read Charkovsky's looking at photographs, you can hear the voice of the curator. You can hear the the curatorial prose, and and Tchaikovsky A- wrote beautiful prose. I mean, yeah. he really did. And you hear that. And then I think the difference, of course, is. The voice I hear from you mm-hmm. is the voice of a teacher. Yeah, I hear the voice of a teacher mm-hmm. sort of uh, uh, telling the audience why this is significant, why this is important, why this image matters, right. the impact this image had in the history of photography. And you very clearly um, start most of, most of the images, most of the description of the images by sort of placing it in a genre or a style or... A functionality, even which right. I really love. I love the idea that this this photograph served this function. You say of uh, Dawood Bayes that um, occasionally the mood of a photograph significantly alters what it communicates to the extent that it can veto the apparent subject and confer its own meaning. Mm. That's just beautiful. Thank you. The idea that you know this this you know beyond the the things in the photograph, there's this whole other. You know, important part of, a, of looking at a photograph. In Laurie Simmons, you place it in stage photography. In Hank Wessel, you place it in the vernacular, the social landscape. Right. And so I actually think there's a, a number of ways in which you start off the description of photograph, which immediately gives you a sense of why you're looking at it.
1: Well, that's, that's really great to hear, Michael. I appreciate that because I very much... You're absolutely right. There is a pedagogical tone to it. I certainly have no claim to be as eloquent and as anecdotal and as charming as John Sarkowski. Um, No, no claim, no claims whatsoever. And in terms of the essays, I really did want to situate each image in the larger field of photography and, and to say something in general terms that I had learned again about the medium over all these years. And it was an interesting challenge. And I should also add that the book was was an enormous challenge for me to take all that information that, that was sort of inchoate and floating around in the brain. Um, and again, the format and the brevity, also the brevity of each essay helped me to do that. So I wanted to begin each small essay by saying something in general terms as a segue into why. If not why the work was important, one of the f- one of the functionalities of the of the work or the way that this particular photographer or picture occupied yet another idea or position about photography.
0: What one of the things I was going to bring up, and you just hinted at it, or you just you just spoke about it, is that there's a, a conciseness and a way that you center the language using in, in photography, but also um, in plain description. That I think is what makes it such, a, such an unintimidating way to, to learn about a photograph. I'm, I'm glad. I'm very glad. Yeah. It was, again, it was, it was such
1: a challenge and um, it was so pleasurable to, to be able to find a set of words that I felt could describe the work in a way that would it, be maybe not even communicative, but possibly even inspiring. And by the way, there was, there's work that's in the book that I won't name, but, but work that I came to appreciate by writing about it. There's work that I had perhaps been dismissive of or did not feel it deserved the recognition that it had or simply it, it kind of overlooked. And, and again, that was another worthwhile uh, aspect of, of, of this endeavor for me. I wanted to share my pleasure with the
0: medium. I wanted to, I wanted to share my, my, my glee um, no, I think, that's, I think that's so true. And I think that will be passed on through your book.
1: It, in, in a way, the book is almost a valentine to a group of pictures and, and also a group of people, <laughs> you know, a community of people that have been engaged in redefining photography. And, and you know, if, as one who lives in lower Manhattan, these are people that um, really did form a very strong sense of support and community and exploration, Mm-hmm. I I'm, dr- I'm drifting a little bit but I I wanted to celebrate that and and I also wanted to be as generous as possible because I think generosity is something that's important if you want to learn about something
0: absolutely the other part of this that I I really love looking at is is seeing the work in not a uh, chronological order yeah. right uh the seeing the work we we talked about it. This is an alphabetical order by first name, but then it's not just this sort of linear way of looking at work from beginning to end. And there'll be a moment where you'll see the work that came after and then the work that came before. And the connection is just as strong as if you had realized this work was influenced by this work. You can actually see a connection of the work sort of bounce back and forth as you flip through the book.
1: I wanted to avoid the uh, conventional, again, the conventional way of segregating the medium based on genre, based on chronology, based on overlapping, overlapping themes. It's it's not a problematic way of learning about photography, but I just think it's, it's predictable. Right. And because I wanted to really thoroughly, you know, bring together fashion photography and photojournalism and documentary. And mm. this ultimately seemed to be the best way to do it. It's, it's as if I had a deck of cards and just shuffled it in such a way. So the fact that you might go from Daywood Bay to Deborah Turberville and, and maybe think of them in right. relationship to one another inadvertently would seem like a really desirable idea. The reason that we did it by first, first name rather than last name is just the publishers thought that it would be a, a hipper way of doing it. So who am I to question, <laughs> question that?
0: Is there a piece uh, or parts of pieces that you would like to read or, uh, sure. or love letters?
1: Why don't I read something? Since we were talking about Nan Golden, let me read something I wrote about, about her. One of the things that I tried to do, Michael, and I'm not sure I succeeded, at all, was to say something new about the photographers who were best known. We all know that um, so much ink has been spilled, as they say, over, for example, Robert Maplethorpe or Stephen Shore or Nan Golden. So rather than repeating what has been, what is known, I tried to discover something about their work that I thought had not received adequate coverage. That made the process, of course, meaningful to me. And by the way, I also intentionally tried to choose a picture which was not necessarily representative or, or not the most familiar of their of their work. So let me read from, from Nan mm. Gold, Golden, because uh, again, I feel like this is something that perhaps is deserving being said. What is both landmark and enduring in Golden's work is her assertion of the lives of women. The female, however that is construed, without social filter. In their restive and unruly passion, they challenge heretofore norms of decorum. We share in their sorrow, exuberance, vanity, fear. They are vulnerable, voracious, fragile, and fierce and devastated. And their nakedness is both of the body and the joy of the uninhibited. Neither narcissistic nor voyeuristic, as as has been suggested, the work stems from a garrulous generosity, in which the act of bearing without judgment becomes its own ethical and moral standard. Yeah. That seems pretty wordy to me, but the the point is, is that you know so much emphasis has been placed on the particular lifestyle of the participants in Nan Golden's work. So so much emphasis on how she changed documentary and in the process also. Depicted a particular time in New York City, but I, I'm not sure that enough emphasis had been placed on how she photographed women and that she mm-hmm. she depicted them in 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 a way that had not been seen before, and that's very much to her credit. And again, her work has been her work has been criticized for being self-absorbed and narcissistic, narcissistic. And I I confess <laughs> that I, that I may have been. I may have been guilty of, of such claims, but in thinking about her work, I, I began to realize how generous it was in the way that it approached her subjects.
0: I remember those criticisms quite a bit, the, the idea of narcissism and the insularity of photographing your friends, right? All those ideas. But but it wasn't that, right? It was It was a moment in time in New York, definitely, but it was also challenging archetypes at the same time. Right,
1: right. But this was also a time that most documentary was considered to be photographing a community which is not of your own. Again, a documentary photographer was supposed to be objective. We now know that that's completely impossible. But
0: that by photographing... oh, we've turned around on that idea, haven't we?
1: Absolutely. By photographing your own community and placing yourself in the frame as well, violated that objectivity which was supposed to it was some it's like a it was a
0: moral uh, regulation mhm you know the other thing that i i noticed I, I hope you don't mind i go back and forth with the comparisons no, to looking yeah. at photographs okay um, you know when Sh- sharkovsky was writing that and using the collection he was also emphasizing invention, Mm -hmm, the early inventions of photography too, the processes that were being used because that it made sense. It came from the collection. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, even in 73, it was photography was still relatively new in the museum world. You're right. As the idea of being museum objects. Um, and then of course, now in the time you're writing this, the idea now, it's something that, that I think is happening. And you can let me know if you agree that, there is room now in photography for a little bit of everything, um, that we don't have a kind of modernism, postmodernism battle. We don't have, you know, the, the kind of hard lines that we used to have in photography. And I think that's reflective in the book, in the work that you've chosen. Good, good. I,
1: act, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. I think, to be a, for example, to be a young photographer now, there are so many choices, both technologically and ideologically. That one can make and i think that in retrospect the thinking about the medium was so much more narrow because it was it was engaged in a struggle to assert itself into into the hierarchy of 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 thinking yeah this is this is this is a great time and i also think that you know if i write another book like this in 10 or 15 years it'll be a completely different cast of characters that, and and it is our hope, of course, hmm. that it'll be more representative of so many different backgrounds and ethnicities and and uh, cultural uh, references. Um, I did receive a couple of emails from people who who felt that the book, because it reflects the canon, as it were, that it approves of the canon uh, in 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 a sense that it that that it's an inappropriate book to to release right now because it reinforces. Uh, you know, a certain sense of privilege. I can't quite, I can't quite argue with that. You know, it it is history, but again, we're we're looking at a time that the um, sense of inclusion will be, will be so much more, um, so much more open.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I see if you're pulling from people within who've influenced your students, right? And you're pulling from people who've, who've been able to, you know, kind of work their way or get noticed or be sort of the top of the field, then, mm-hmm. then there is that filter, right? There is that, that selection that, that, um, that could be seen as, as privileged at the top, right? Yeah.
1: Well, even that has changed, Michael. And I'm not sure if you'll agree with this, but the idea of an exhibition being the arbiter of, of um, one's presence or one's influence in the photo community, even that doesn't seem to exist right now. Mm-hmm. I think self-publishing, for example, and Instagram is so much more prominent in terms of uh, disseminating ideas. Again, the, 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 gatekeep, oh, the, the gatekeepers have changed. You know, you don't need uh, Peter McGill yeah. or the Museum of Modern Art to sanctify your work in order for it to become disseminated amongst you know a young group of photographers, and that that'll certainly oh, that's right, have a right. huge impact. Yeah.
0: 'm I'm, I'm reminded of that all the time because I you know I give my students a project to um, an assignment to mimic a photographer. Mm-hmm. and I give them a, a pretty extensive list as well. and you know the list grows every year. Uh, I also use this podcast as a, a way of pr- providing very contemporary <laughs> resources as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my my students find photographers I should have no you know, like no clue about who are, you know equally as great you know they they right. they have an incredible career they have a, an incredible life in photography i had no idea who they were you know so it is it's um there are much many more resources uh, open to my students than i had definitely when i was a student
1: i remember the days as being a young photographer and you know dropping off a set of 35 millimeter slides which were in fact copies of the of, of my work you know and with a self-addressed stamped envelope, and, and you know, almost begging the gallery attendant to pass the work along to the dealer, in the vague hope that they might be interested in the work. Obviously, this is that's mm-hmm. not the, that's not the situation now. Um, and yeah, you know that that will make for a much more plural uh, community of of, of, of images. It's it's and you know for someone mm-hmm. of for someone of my age it's it's just extraordinary the amount of good photography compelling photography provocative photography that's there that's available at any given moment on my on my phone it's just a, it's oh
0: it's, yeah
1: it's thrilling thrilling
0: right so. Let's. Why don't we? Uh, let's go back a little bit. Like okay. I said, we, you, and I met in the '80s when you were. Were you an adjunct professor at SVA then?
1: As is everyone, um, that is that is one of the um, yes, that's unique right. characteristics of SVA is is that everyone is an adjunct. But before that, what were you doing? What got you into photography? Well, I was uh, I was a, a major in painting at uh, Bennington College, which is a small progressive liberal arts college uh, in Vermont. I studied painting and oddly enough, I also studied dance because there was a, they had a really strong dance program, which had been founded by Martha Graham. And at the time it was really the only physical exercise that was offered. I started to become interested in photography. I started making the Polaroid SX-70 had just been invented. And I started to make SX-70s as studies for my paintings. And long story short, I really began to enjoy photography and to begin to understand its complexity and the way that it was part of the cultural matrix. And at the same time, realized uh, what a mediocre painter I was. (laughs) So when I moved to New York after graduation, photography just sort of took over my my thinking and and, uh, I became involved in... You know, a group of, of the people that were engaged in photography as a, as, a, as a visual artistic medium at the time could be counted on two hands. I started to hang out with those people as, you know, Cindy Sherman and, and Richard Prince and Sarah Charlesworth and just became more and more interested in photography and started to exhibit the work. I was showing in the 80s at a gallery which is still around and doing amazing things called 303. It was, at the time, it was at the corner of 23rd Street and Park Avenue at a a 303 Park Avenue South. Again, long story short, I was, uh, Lori Simmons was teaching at the School of Visual Arts. Hmm. And she grew grew tired of it halfway through the semester. Did not want to teach anymore. And announced her departure to the chair, a woman named Alice Beck-Odette. And Alice was in a bit of a panic and asked Lori who she should hire. And um, Lori suggested me. And that's how I started at SVA.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I never knew that. That's wild. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I either
1: have Lori to thank or to blame for that. Um, So at the time, I was was exhibiting the work and, and doing a lot of magazine work, which I enjoyed very much. It was a form of photo illustration that magazines would call me, and want me to make a picture of a particular idea, you know. Let's say they they wanted to do an article about insomnia or an article about office uh, romances, or and it was it was really interesting problem solving. So I made a living at that for about ten years and learned a lot. Still more about photography, increased my teaching load at SVA. Pretty much only taught critique classes, which was my. Which That's was right. You
0: were a third year seminar, or were you fourth yes. year thesis? Well, I was both.
1: I was both at a certain point, and that—that that was really my my only interest was was going into the going into the classroom and talking about the students' work. I had no technical technical knowledge and very little interest in lenses and, and f stops, <laughs> and still still don't. <laughs> but uh, just I- increasingly enjoyed this process in helping the students to uh, articulate their sensibility and to find clues in the work about what, what could be, I mean, all the things that you're aware of, Michael, in terms of the, the procedures and the pleasures of working with students.
0: Yeah. And now, uh, so you were, you were uh, at SVA up until two years ago?
1: Yeah. Two years ago. I was, I was chair for uh, 20 years. Wow.
0: Did you immediately follow Alice beck as chair?
1: There was an interim chair, a woman named Eve Sonneman. Which I, I oh wow I think, yeah I think that lasted about six months and then and then I was appointed as oh, okay as, as as chair and um, the program had a lot of a lot of uh, assets it had a lot of strengths but like any program especially in photography especially in the time that we've lived in with the enormous technological and uh, ideological changes it really needed to be brought up to speed so the great thing about SVA is that it's very entrepreneurial. So unlike other institutions, we were able to make really sweeping curriculum changes very quickly without a lot of a lot of um, obstacles. And it was always a work in progress. Mm -hmm. And it was always about, you know, making sure that what we were doing was relevant and had a relationship to what was occurring outside of academia. Bringing in the people as faculty that, that were, again, having the most influence on the conversation. It was very exciting, exciting time.
0: Yeah, I remember. I remember how quickly, you know, the, the undergrad photo program, the program that you were chair of, set up these digital labs. And uh, it was amazing. They were the envy of uh, colleges.
1: When I became chair, there were no computers in the photography department. <laughs> Again, the, the, this is this is uh, 1998. Yeah. The, there were a couple of students like Simon Johan, for example, was one of the first Students, I remember to really begin to investigate digital technology. He had to go over to a to a, another building to work in the graphic design program in
0: order to. Uh, I remember that building. I remember yes, those computers. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that
1: that was the most that was the most obvious change that that needed to occur was to bring in digital technology.
0: And uh, of course, you know, while you were there, I would. Uh... Bring my students on yes. occasion. and yes, We would I knock remember. on your door and you were incredibly generous and to come out and speak with them. And of I always course. very much appreciated that. And now, now what keeps you busy?
1: Well, um, when I left SVA, I started a, an educational program. I shouldn't say started. I continued an educational program that had been set up at Red Hook Labs in Brooklyn. Red Hook Labs was founded by a good friend of mine named Jimmy Moffitt, Jimmy in the 80s started an organization called Art and Commerce and was the agent of Annie Leibovitz and Robert Maplethorpe, among among many others. And Stephen Mizell, mo- most notably. Jimmy started teaching at SVA. So I asked him to teach at SVA in the 90s and he started a teaching there with a seminar class and enjoyed it. And then he and I started a graduate program at SVA in fashion photography. I guess it's been ten years by now. There, fashion is photography is that the MPS program? Exactly, exactly. Fashion photography as a has a genre had sort of been overlooked by by the department, and it was dismissed by so many of the students as being uh, irrelevant because it was a commercial, superficial, endeavor. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Jimmy and I thought right. it would be a, a good idea to start a graduate program too, in order to to explore the genre on a much more advanced level and it, it remains the only post uh, undergraduate program in the US devoted to fashion photography. Wow. Jimmy Sold Art and Commerce and he started something in Brooklyn at Red Hook. His motivation was to initially teach photography to the local community of high school kids. It's it's a it's a high risk situation and he wanted to share his love of photography and to, and to give back to the community that had been so generous to him. And so there were a bunch of workshops to the local high school kids, and it was both photography as a way of forming a sensibility and identity, as well as a vocational idea. And then I came on to create a series of workshops. I realized that there was a, there was a community of young photographers, most of who had graduated from BFA programs, and lived in Brooklyn and New York City, and had maybe been out of their BFA for three or four or five years, they were not going to graduate school, mostly because of the expense, but they needed a community, a critical community that they could share their work with and get relevant feedback. And so we started a series of workshops and a very lively uh, situation developed there. That takes us up to January and with the pandemic, what, whether or not we'll be able to continue with Red Hook Labs is entirely unknown. So the future is up in the air. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Um, what oh. I what I've been doing, yeah. Michael, is is writing another book and and putting out the next issue of Dear Dave uh, magazine, um, which will be. Um, we
0: didn't even mention Dear Dave magazine. <laughs> It's a, it's okay. Give us, yes. Oh, of course. Dear Dave magazine, of course. With and um, so many things you've done involve Mark Alice Durand. Yes. Who yeah. runs Saint Lucy Press. Saint Lucy. Saint, yeah. yeah. Do,
1: you, do you know Mark? Have you met him? He's a lovely, lovely I man. I do. I. Yeah.
0: Incredibly generous and warm and nice and smart and. Uh, Saint Lucy just does uh, does amazing work. Yeah,
1: D- does wonderful things, and I'm I'm so glad to get that on tape because I, once we finish this conversation, I'm going to call him and I'm going to play your your endorsement of, oh. all of Mark's <laughs> wonderful attributes.
0: Oh, I love Mark. Yeah, yes. he's a gr- he's a yep. great guy. Um, yeah, just just quickly give us a, a little thumbnail um, about Dear Dave magazine.
1: Well, Dear Dave was started. Um, gosh, I, I I lose track of time. Let's just say a dozen years ago. At the time, the dominant photo magazines, of course, were Aperture and then uh, another magazine called Blindspot, the dominant American magazine. Oh, Blindspot, yeah. And this was before Aperture had been reconsidered and redesigned by Michael Famighetti. So, to my way of thinking, Aperture was feeling a little bit predictable and a little historical. And Blindspot, which was a terrific magazine, emphasized the theoretical. And thus, I thought that there was room for another magazine which, again, addressed photography as a very plural medium and brought in lots of unpredictable portfolios and information and saw it as a holistic medium and also gave, you know, an ample amount of space to photographers, especially young photographers who were completely unknown, but whose work I felt was deserving of recognition. And, and obviously, because of my position, a lot of them were
0: SVA graduates, including another mutual friend, uh, Ephraim zolani Mendel.
1: Yes. Yeah. And Ephraim is doing amazing things. And as you know, just came out with a wonderful book called uh, Primal. I want to say Primal Fear, but it's Primal Sight. Oh, yes. yeah. Ephraim has done a lot, a lot of writing for Dear Dave and his his contribution is, is really valuable to us. Yeah. So that was the idea of Dear Dave to, to again to put out a magazine which was which was very plural and a bit unpredictable and really address the medium in lots of different ways and to um, just to reflect the um, the, the very diverse uh, community. It comes out three times a year, and it's been a great pleasure. It's it's a great joy. Oh well, this has been great catching up with you. Well, thank you, Michael. It's been a ter- it's it's been a terrific pleasure.
0: Yes, and congratulations again on the book. And you know, I am definitely going to be including this book in in my teachings. Th-
1: thank you. Well, I also want to congratulate you, and I've known you for so long, and I admire so much what you're doing in the classroom and in terms of the podcast. And again, sharing your enthusiasm for the medium and well, thank you, uh, being generous with your time and and with your insight and. Uh, you've really contributed quite a bit and it's, it's appreciated.
0: Oh, that's really nice. Thank you very much. All right. Great to talk to you. Yeah. And hopefully we'll see each other in person soon. <laughs>
1: I hope so. And, and, and all good thoughts for the new year.
0: Yes, you too. Okay. All right. Thank you. Bye everyone. Bye everybody. Th- thanks for listening. <laughs> Real Photo Show with Michael Chauvin-Dalton is a production of Real Photo Show, which you can listen to on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.